The last couple of weeks, going through St. Peter chapter 2, Peter has explained to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit the doctrines that are anti-Christ. And he's told us about those, not those who necessarily are deceived or misguided, but those who are sent by the spirit of Antichrist, by Satan, who deliberately deceive a child of God to take their joy, to lead them astray, to darken their hope, to glorify themselves, to glorify man. These are not people that are mistaken in the sense of being deceived and trying to do well and help God's people. These are those that were anti-Christ, those which are against God. So many doctrines have come forth which have hurt the church and the Lord's people, split the church many times, by different congregations, different doctrines, and other things. This is an important thing. It was an important thing in that day. It's an important thing this day. Last week, we had the example given of Balaam, who was rebuked of God because of his witchcraft and divinity toward God's people. We've been brought about by modern society. So many things have changed from the meanings of words to ideas and things that exist and don't exist. Many today will tell you that there is no God. Many today will tell you there are no such things as angels. These things were taught when Christ was here. It's no different today. I believe the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's taught today. Or denying the punishment of the wicked. That's here today. It's nothing new under the sun. Satan uses the same tools over and over and over. When we go through something like this and you take the time to try to explain it, and get into it uh, deep enough to understand a little bit more. Sometimes it seems like we're being negative, and that's not the point at all. The point that we've been shown through all of this is that God hates sin. God hates the wicked. Yes, God hates. Jacob have I loved, yet Esau have I hated. And that God is going to punish the wicked, that God will punish false prophets, that God will punish those who have deceived you, those who have hurt, whether physically or emotionally or spiritually, God's people. We saw those six people killed this past week. Christians in a Christian school, allegedly, supposedly, they... And I believe they sought to be if they were not. Don't know them. I'm sure they probably were. And the three young ones are innocent anyway. But there are people in the world that hate Christ. They hate people of Christ. They seek to hurt you. They seek to destroy you. And I'm telling you all this because when God speaks of judging these people, whether temporally in this world or whether at the last day on the day of judgment... This is deliverance to you. This is because God loves you and what they have done to you and because they rebelled against God and because they hate Christ. Because they hate you, because they hate Christ. That exists in this world. That is here in this world. That is what the nature of this very world is about since Adam rebelled against God. God makes us a place. God gives us a place. God carries us. God sustains us. And all of that 
is in Christ. Without Christ, we have no hope. We have no salvation. We have no knowledge of God. We have no knowledge of the truth. You know the truth. God gives it to you. Jesus, speaking of the Jews who were blinded and of those of the world, made the statement speaking to His disciples. That was the modern day church of those He called. You are called into the kingdom of God. You're called to life by the Spirit. You're called to the kingdom of God by the preaching of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Christ calls you. Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to know it unless God reveals it. Unto you. God does not reveal it to anyone who is not his elect. And he saves daily, he reveals daily to whom he will reveal himself to. You have the knowledge of the gospel. Satan tries to blind your eyes to the truth of the gospel that he may consume you. This nation which was founded because God's people came here seeking religious freedom to worship God in a scriptural way and not the way the king decreed or some religious leader in England or Rome or wherever else decreed. They came here seeking a place to worship God in spirit and truth scripturally. We drove to Swamp Creek yesterday to see her, my wife's kinfolk, because they were here at that time. They were some of the first ones that came over. They came here seeking a place, and it's recorded in their history by her people. They came here seeking a place to worship God in spirit and truth, and everyone we've found have been amongst the old Baptist congregation. Now I say that to make the point of why Peter is going to such great detail and telling us about these people that we're to be wary of, that we're to reject, that we're to turn away from. If it's not of Christ, as Paul says, if any man or an angel from heaven bring any other gospel unto you, or an angel, then that which we have delivered you, let him be accursed, and he said it again to affirm it. The doctrine is so important. The doctrine delivered from God, the salvation of every child of God, doesn't matter who they are, male, female, what race, doesn't matter how good they are, how great they are, how small they are, how rich they are, how poor they are, doesn't matter if they fought in wars and killed people. Doesn't matter if they, if whatever they did, okay? Nothing can separate them from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing. I sit up late at night listening to different preachers and things a lot of times on the internet. There's a man that's very popular, I'm not going to call his name. He's out west. He's got a great following. He claims to be Calvinist. I think in essence he's a Fullerite. But he, he'll he stand here and tell you that God's elect are God's elect because it pleased God to choose them that you had absolutely nothing to do with your salvation and that you cannot lose your salvation and then turn around the following week and tell you this sin will send you to hell. That contradicts itself. The Bible does not contradict itself. Just to make a point of doctrine changing. Just to make a point of those who do not rightly divide the word of truth. Of those who are deceived in some way by Satan and false prophets and the Antichrist. We, I full well believe, 
have a greater knowledge of truth from the Scripture. It's given from Christ. It is all about Christ. We full well know that as we live in this world, we pay for our sins here. For every sin, there's a recompense. If we sin, God chastens us. But we know that no matter what we do in this world, when Christ appears in the day of judgment, that we will stand in heaven and immortal glory with Christ our Savior forever. Forever. Now to get to the text today, Peter is talking about this doctrine. And he's going to close this line of thinking in the third chapter with those who deny God Himself and what is ahead for every child of God. He begins his second epistle. He says, Beloved. He's talking to the children of God. More so, he's talking to the children of God who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many sons of God in this world. God has a people which cannot be numbered. Yet there are very few sons of God. And of the sons of God, there are even fewer that have the truth and cling to the truth and take up their cross daily and strive to follow after the Lord. Disciples, discipline. He's writing to disciples. He's writing to the church. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you. First Peter, second Peter. We can talk about first Peter written to the elect of God, those that God chose to set aside, those that God chose to quicken with the Spirit, those that God chose the Son agreed to shed His blood for, those that God chose to live with Him in heaven in a mortal glory in spite of their sin, in spite of the death of this world, in spite of all they do and have done and will do wrong, that will stand with Christ in glory by grace because He shed His blood for them. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. First of all, your pure minds. We are by our nature sinners in sin did my mother conceive me? He said, I was shapen in iniquity. A sinful man, a sinful woman came together. A sinful seed was planted. Our nature is sin. Enmity against God. Our mind, by our nature, hated God. Just like everyone who is left in their state of nature, were it not for the grace of God, we would have been the same exact way, but it pleased God to choose us, to love us, to save us, to quicken us, to work a work in us by a Spirit where we choose or desire, there's a better word, to do and to will of His good pleasure, works which were ordained from before the foundation of the world. Therefore, He has purified our mind. He's taken away the knowledge. Let me say this simply. He's taken away the constant desire of the natural man in our nature to seek that which is wrong. He's taken away the ongoing, ever-moving desire, the thoughts of our imagination being only evil continually. He's planted the knowledge of Christ within you. He planted, He placed, 
His law in your heart. So you have a pure mind which can see and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God in the knowledge of Christ and the purpose of the gospel and of eternal life which precedes gospel. You have to be alive to hear. Your pure mind has an understanding of that because God has caused and enabled you to have that knowledge and that desire. And He says by way of remembrance. Remembrance. We need to remember. Remembering that Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Remembering that this covenant of God And we have a covenant God, a God who cannot lie, who made covenant in the realm of eternity before the world was created, that the Father gave the Son a people, the Son agreed to die for those people, and the Holy Spirit sealed that covenant. We have a covenant God. All the purpose of God is not about saving men and saving souls. We have a duty to save souls in the way of making men disciples by preaching the gospel and living the way that Christ teaches us to live. But we cannot save them preaching the gospel unless God had already given them a desire to hear the gospel and prepared a people to hear the gospel, and they cannot hear the gospel unless they're prepared of God, and they're not going to hear the gospel or be prepared of God unless they're among the elect of God and God has saved them. Way of remembrance. Way of remembrance. Christ. What's the purpose of all things? Christ. What's the purpose? In Christ, that God was exalted and exalts and will exalt again His Son above all things created. And that's everything except God. He's the head of the church. He's the head of all things. In heaven, when He delivers up the kingdom of God, Christ will be at the top. Christ will be above all things as He is this day. Yet we cannot see in this body of flesh. Peter says, I want to stir up your mind by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. The New Testament was not completed. Peter, as Paul, was speaking mostly of those men of old, the prophets of God that God sent forth of his pe- uh, from among His people and to His people to teach them of the fall of man, to teach them of the One who would come and bruise the serpent's head, to teach them of the wicked who stand in judgment, said this yesterday, the light of the wicked shall be put out. And I'll say it another way today. The wicked shall be turned into hell to teach them of deliverance. To teach them of being delivered from Satan and the non-elect angels who left their first habitation. We just talked about that. Deliver them from all the evils in the world, the false prophets and all these things. They preached of that and of the coming of the kingdom of God into this world which came in Christ wherein we stand today in the New Testament church. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. Think about that. Holy prophets. Men whom God separated for His purpose. God set Moses aside. God called him from Egypt. Let alone talking about God saving him from death 
when they were drowning the children of Israel at birth. God called this man Moses. God called Aaron. God called Elijah, Elisha. God called Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. God called all those men. And in calling them just as God calls you, God set them aside. Do you find any work of man in this? God made them holy. He sanctified them. He set them aside from the others of Israel. And He set Israel aside from the world. And you today are the Israel of God, spiritual Israel, that God has set aside from the world. When Christ died, He hung between two men. We see one Christ promised eternal paradise that day and the other left in His own state of nature. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, those men that God separated, called, and sent forth to preach, to preach the glory of God and the Son of God and the Lamb of God and the Messiah and the Christ of God who was at that time yet to come because the law and the prophets were when? Until John. And then the church was established. Mark 1 says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Be mindful of what those men taught. Be mindful of what those men by God's sovereign hand have brought forth and taught us. And of the commandment of us, here's a New Testament church, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. I am not an apostle. They died. They had special power, special gifts. As they died, those gifts died with them. We are not the apostolic church. We are the church of grace. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We belong to Him. The apostles of the Lord and Savior. I do not have the authority to command you something new or different. By the Spirit of God... We have the authority to command and preach and teach Scripture that the apostles penned by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here's the reason. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. We went through three weeks in Second Peter talking about false prophets. These men are also false prophets, but they're scoffers. Where is your God? We don't see Him. We don't hear Him. Well, it's not given unto them to see them, Him or hear Him. If it is, then at one point or another before they leave this world, they will see Him by faith and hear Him. But the scoffers are those that walk through this world living wantonly in any way they please, doing anything they want to do in rebellion against God. Look, we do this. God cannot do anything to us. Do you not see that in society today? We live as we please. There's no fear of God in their eyes. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And that's exactly who they're talking about. Fools. Scoffers. You can live like this. You can do this. It doesn't matter if we do this. Perhaps God's asleep. Perhaps God, God forbid, is dead. He doesn't see us. He doesn't, he doesn't care about us. He just said, said, let all things happen. He's not going to punish us. Scoffers. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. 
in the last days. Oh, there's so much talk now about the last days. Well, we know it's the last days. It's going to come. We need to be doing this, that. Now, let me tell you something, brethren. We don't need, first of all, we're in the last days and we have been in the last days since Christ came in this world. This is the era of grace. This is the time of grace. When the time of grace is over, when the last child of God is born of the Spirit of God, then Christ will end this world and there will be a time of judgment. Make no mistake about it. But we're living in the last days. Everybody says, the last day is coming. We need to do this or we need to do that. The Bible teaches me we are to anticipate that day with great gladness and joy and pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'll give you an example I used yesterday. So many people today at the death of a loved one, and this is because they have not been taught. You see unchurched people who've never taken the time to go and learn the truth of God and Christ and do not know there is a resurrection of the dead. When they lose one they love, they mourn, they sorrow, they do not know what has happened to that child. And we have great joy in knowing the truth that when a child of God dies they are with Christ in heaven above immediately. Immediately, they're scoffers. They're walking after their own lust. It's the last days. Daddy got a thing in the mail the other day. Tell me, somebody sent him some ministry. Send me money. Send me money. Walking after their own lust. Will that be lust of flesh, lust of money, lust of power? Scoffers denying God. Himself. They may not openly tell you they deny God, but you can see it in their doctrine. What did Christ say in Matthew 7? Beware of false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing. You can judge them by their works. And you can judge them by their doctrine. Okay? That's all I have to go by. Therefore, if I see a man telling me there is no God that tells me he is at least at this point reprobate and he's a scoffer and I'm to avoid that man and turn away from him. They walk after their own lust. And what do they say? And saying, where is the promise of His coming? You know, the Bible does not tell us a whole lot about Noah and the flood in the sense of how the people around him reacted. We know he was a preacher of righteousness. Therefore, we know that if he was a preacher of righteousness, that he had a burning in his bones, as Jeremiah said, a great yearning to preach the righteousness of God, which is Christ. We don't know how those people reacted. I've heard men say they laughed at Him, they scoffed at Him. I haven't read that in Scripture. You would think they did, but we have no true knowledge of that. But we do have an example of how they lived wickedly while Noah built the ark that God instructed him to, and we know that they kept living in sin, and they kept every evil imagination working constantly by their nature in sin, until the day the Lord shut Noah in the ark and drowned them. The mind would think, and this is a mortal mind, that if they were still living in that, they were paying absolutely no attention to Noah, thinking God's not going to come here, if there even is a God. Scoffing. Scoffing. Where's the promise of His coming? We've been living like this, 
I think the world was 1,656 years, I read, old when God flooded the earth. We've been here 1,600 years living like this. God has not intervened. God is not going to do anything to us if there is a God. And some blatantly declaring there was no God. Where's the promise of His coming? It's no different today. The Jews lived that way. Denied the Christ child. Denied the Son of God. Denied the Messiah. But He came. He came in Noah's day. In the flood. He came in Christ some 2,000 years ago. Didn't matter what they said. Didn't matter what they thought. Doesn't matter what they denied. If you read the writings of Josephus, you see many of those Jews highly regretted saying and thinking as they had that Christ was not the Messiah and would not judge them. For since the fathers fell asleep, the fathers from Adam on, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, the tribes, patriarchs, Moses, Aaron, all the way up to the kings of Egypt, kings of Israel, I'm sorry, and the kings of Judah, the fathers in the faith, the fathers of Israel. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. All things are going. All things keep going. God has not intervened in us. God does not care. He's not concerned. If there is even a God, and again, those who plainly declare there is no God. Scoffers. Walking after their own lust. For this... They willingly, let that sink in, are ignorant of, and I keep going back to Josephus, but this is pertaining to the Jews. The Jews denied that Jesus was the Christ. Josephus denied that Jesus was the Christ. I haven't figured out yet how Josephus escaped the destruction of Jerusalem but he's supposed to be the only one that did that was upon that mountain. But I do know this, in his writings, he plainly says, after denying that Jesus was the Christ, that He is the Savior. He declared He is the Savior. For He must have been. And I say that to make the point, many of those people knew that He was the Son of God, yet they hated Him without a cause. They rejected Him because He was taking their power and their authority and their gold and their silver and their glory. We see the same thing today. You cannot tell me that a... Any person, it's manifested in Romans 1, the glory of God is plainly there in creation for all to see and know and understand. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. Yet they deny Him because of their own lust their own desires, their own power, their own glory, their own fame, their own lust. Things are going on just like they have been since the world was created. For this they willingly are ignorant of, willingly now, that by the Word of God, that is Christ, the heavens were of old. Let there be, and there was, that's Christ. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. 
The Word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water let the dry land appear, and it was so. And in the water, and it was so. Whereby the world that then was, the first era, the era of creation, the era of Adam up till Noah, 1600 years, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water, the great flood. It amazes me these people will say, well, it wasn't the whole world flooded. It was just that area. And then these other people get over here and say, well, there's sharks in the middle of the United States. How do sharks get in the middle of the United States? There was a flood upon the whole world, okay? Take true science. The world was flooded. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. God destroyed it. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, today, after the flood, where we live in this world that God created, the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, Christ, are kept in store. This world spins and this world rotates. It sits at an angle. It is impossible for that to be so. It is sustained with Christ who created it. It keeps the tilt. It keeps the spin. It keeps the rotation. Christ sustains this world until His purpose with this world is finished again when the last promised heir of God is born of the Spirit. This world will be here until that time. By the same Word are kept in store, but the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same Word Christ are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's nothing in this world that is good. There is not one that is good. This whole world is tainted with sin. When Christ appears in the eastern sky, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, our God is a consuming fire. When Christ appears in the, as the glorious Son of God, King of King and Lord of Lords, all in this world will be consumed in a moment, it will perish and be burnt up because it is sin and sin cannot exist before God and Christ is God manifest in the flesh and when He returns again, He will be in His glory. This world is kept in store for the children of God till we come into being conceived and born of the Holy Spirit. didn't say they'd be born. It might be a child in the womb at the moment of conception is born of the Spirit of God. And God ends this world and they'll be delivered up when He delivers up the kingdom. But you need to understand the truth in God's Word. This world is reserved unto fire against the day of judgment, for he shall separate, he shall gather the nations together to separate them one from another as a shepherd does his sheep. He will set the sheep on his right hand. He sets them there. They do not come alone. It's Christ and the goats on his left. He says to the sheep, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. There is eternal life and glory when the body is raised up and is reunited with the Spirit which is in heaven with Christ. Jude said, The Lord cometh with tens of thousands of His saints. Their spirit, their soul, and their body reunited. Jude also said to execute judgment upon the ungodly. Think about that. 
Depart from me, you curse it, to the goats. And do everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This world is reserved against fire to the day of judgment and perdition, destruction of ungodly men. The glory of God in destroying the wicked. This is Bible. This is not human minds and worrying about fairness and offering things to people. Christ never offered Himself to any man. He offered Himself to God. It's a sacrifice for His people. And He paid that debt and saved them from their sins. We're all guilty. We're all worthy of that fire. God is a righteous judge. It must be punished. They will be punished. Why are we not punished? Because it pleased God to set His love upon us. It pleased the Son of God to die for us and raise up for our justification. To redeem us, to purchase us, to bring us to God, and on this day of judgment to carry us home to glory where we shall ever be with the Lord. But beloved, again, to the church, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 1,600 years old when the God destroyed the earth with the flood. I've told you this before. Eternity is now. Eternity is present. What was 1,656 years to those living in that day if they had the ability to look back and understand exactly how long it was seemed like a very long time. Perhaps God doesn't see. Perhaps God doesn't hear. But to God, a thousand years is as a day. That's not giving us some secret Da Vinci code to figure out when the world's going to end because man nor the angels in heaven know that. Only God, Christ. It's teaching us that God is eternal and time means absolutely nothing. He suffers things to be. He works in His own time as far as time is concerned. And what He said He will do He does. My counsel shall stand. And this day does come. I'm not the Arminian who's going to tell you you need to be going out and saving souls to Christ before the world ends and pray He doesn't end it before we save some people. I'm telling you the day is coming that God will judge His people in righteousness, carry them to glory, and destroy the wicked, and God will be glorified in it. And God promised that, and it's going to come, and nothing's going to stop it, and it will be in the time of God. And a thousand years is as a day. Time means nothing to Him. Do not fret over what we face in this world. Do not fret over what we face in the church. Do not fear. Jesus said in Revelation 1, I hold the keys of hell and death in my hand. Christ is going to return. God is going to have a day of judgment. The saints of God will inherit eternal glory. The wicked and Satan and the fallen angels and demons will inherit the everlasting lake of fire. That day is coming. I don't care how many people are killed daily. I don't care how many governments hate us. I don't care how many people hate us and seek to kill us and destroy us. I don't care how many hate the church, the true church. The day is coming when God is going to return and end all this. And while we live here, this should be a comfort that we're going to be delivered. And the providence of God in our life delivers us daily. In Christ. Verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. God cannot lie. 
as some men count slackness, well, he's not coming. He doesn't see. He doesn't hear. But is long suffering to us, word, his people, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, let's rightly divide the word of truth in these last six minutes. I've heard this used so many times as an Armenian plea. You better come out and get saved before you die. You might die going home and go to hell. God forbid how weak is Christ in their eyes that they would dare declare His blood was shed in vain. The Lord is long-suffering to usward. He allows time to pass. He allows the world to go on. He allows evil to go just thus far and restrains it. All things go on because He would not have one of His child left out. All the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and I will raise him up to the last day. What is the text saying? All these things in this world transpire and go about because the last child of God has not been born into the world and born or conceived in the world and born of the Spirit and quickened and given life and had repentance to stand with God in heaven in immortal glory. None will perish. Not one child of God eternally, but that all should come to repentance, that all should be taken from this nature of sin and death and changed into the nature of Jesus Christ. And we'll close with this verse and come back to it next week. But the day of the Lord... Now, traditionally speaking by Scripture and truth, Go to 118th Psalm, it talks about the day of the Lord. It talks about the sacrifice being bound to the altar. It talks about Christ being bound by the covenant to the altar of God to present Himself as Lamb of God for the sins of the children of God. That's the day of the Lord. It's when Christ came into the world the time from the time He was born and walked upon the face of the earth, and was crucified, and laid down His life, and raised it up again, until today. That was the day of the Lord. We're living in the day of the Lord. We're living in the era of grace. We're living in the last day. Christ could appear today. He may appear before we leave this church building. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. The day of the Lord in question here is the day of the resurrection, the day of judgment. It's all speaking of the day of the power of God's Christ, Revelation 12. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Send us your money. The day of the Lord's coming. Well, we need to pray. That it doesn't happen yet. What's wrong with that doctrine? Blind leading the blind. Pray that He would not come. Lord Jesus, come quickly. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. No one will know other than the Father until... He appears in the eastern sky at the last trump, last gospel trumpets. Won't need the gospel anymore. We won't see by faith. We'll see by sight. When the bodies of the saints are raised up and those that are alive and remain are caught up together in there with them to meet the Lord in the air, He won't set His foot back in this sin-cursed earth and it will be consumed. It'll come as a thief in the night. It's compared to the way Jerusalem was in the day of the flood also. Living, sinning, reveling in it. 
Only evil continually. God does not see us. God does not hear us. God does not care about us. There is no God. You hear that daily if you listen. It's better to stay away from it. The day of the Lord will come as a thief, the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. That's the stars, the planets, the solar system. That's the air we breathe. Pass away. With a great noise. With a great noise. When Lazarus was called forth from the grave, the Lord said, Lazarus, come forth. I do not find anywhere where we are told what Christ will say when He appears in the eastern sky. We know it's the last gospel trumpet, and we know it's the voice of the archangel, the chief angel who is Christ. But when He speaks, it will be a great commanding noise, just as He declared on the cross, it is finished. It will be a loud voice, commanding, demanding, authoritative voice that will shake the very pillars of heaven and earth. The heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat for our God is a consuming fire and sin cannot exist before Him. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I'll read this and come back to it next week. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in our holy conversation and godliness? I'll tell you this much. That is not a turn and burn statement. That is not telling us that we better get right with the Lord because we can't get right with the Lord. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice. As long as we live in this body of flesh, we're going to sin. We're going to have a battle fighting against the flesh with the Spirit of God within us. That's why we're to pray all the time. The reason that we ought to be living the way mentioned is to give glory to the very Son of God out of love, gratitude, and adoration because He delivers us. He has delivered us. He will deliver us daily, temporally, and eternally. And we ought to be living in fear of God, giving reverence to Him while we live here. Awaiting that day. And Lord willing, we'll finish this text next week.